0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Inside the Boards podcast. This week, we're going to release a number of mini-episodes, maybe every other day. I hope you enjoy them. Please rate and review the podcast and let us know a little bit about what you think. For more from Inside the Boards, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. Hi, I'm your host, Elizabeth Beeman. Welcome back to the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series. I have another microbiology episode for you. Please excuse my voice is a little bit hoarse today. I'm kind of getting over a little bit of an illness myself. Hopefully, not the one that we're talking about in the question today. But I think we'll get through this. It's going to be a good episode, and we're covering a topic we haven't gotten to touch on yet. So, this is going to be very helpful for you. So, our question is A five year old girl is brought to the pediatric office because of a fever for the past three days. Her mother reports her daughter also has a constant cough and runny nose. After speaking to other parents from the daycare her daughter goes to, some of the other children have also experienced similar symptoms. The mother believes that her daughter is allergic to eggs and so only receives vaccines absolutely required by her school. Physical examination reveals a temperature of 39 degrees Celsius or 103 degrees Fahrenheit with injection of the nares and oropharynx. Which of the following is the most common complication of the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are choice A, asthma, choice B, bronchitis, choice C, febrile seizure, choice D, otitis media, or choice E, pneumonia. And the correct answer is choice D, otitis media. Otitis media is a very common complication of this diagnosis, and the diagnosis is influenza virus. So. Let's go about why we knew this was influenza. First of all, we have a young kid. She's five years old, and that's a very common age for flu to be transmitted. Really, all populations are susceptible to flu, and all people should be getting the flu shot yearly. But that brings us to our next point. This kid is not getting all of her shots. It's alluded to that the mother is only getting the shots the school absolutely requires. You know about the influence of vaccine. That would be something that is often required in healthcare workers and sometimes required at schools. But unlike many of the shots that you get at various ages at the doctor's office, the influenza shot is not usually a mandatory shot and is not usually required. So that kind of is a clue of the diagnosis right off the bat. They're giving you that information. Also, the child is having flu-like symptoms. She has injection of the eyes, and she's got a cough, a runny nose, and she's febrile, 103 degrees. The patient is most likely at risk for the complication of acute otitis media because this is the most prevalent complication we actually see with influenza virus. And it's accounted for by the fact that Flu leaves the body susceptible to bacterial opportunistic infections in the respiratory tracts, in the upper respiratory tracts, in the sinuses, specifically otitis media, bacterial infections, as well as viral infections. It is also believed that the flu virus itself can cause otitis media. So this is seen in actually 10 to 20% of patients that are positive for flu. Let's talk a little bit more about viruses because we haven't really gotten to talk about viruses much yet. So, what are the big kind of classifications for the structures of viruses? So we can really kind of be reminded of that. So we have naked viruses with an icosahedral capsid, we have enveloped viruses with an icosahedral capsid, and we have enveloped viruses with a helical capsid. And then we have to remember that the lipid bilayer is what we're going to see in the enveloped virus, with the icosahedral capsid. We are going to touch on that again in a minute, but remember the lipid bilayer is how we can get surface proteins. And those surface proteins are important because they are part of the virulence mechanism for the virus, but also part of our host defense. So they, they tie into us creating vaccines. Antigenic shift is part of this. We'll get into it in a second let's go through viral genetics really quickly. They have four main mechanisms by which viruses kind of have their own unique way of being pathogenic and affecting their DNA and their protein synthesis in ways that help them be better at infecting humans. So recombination is the first mechanism. This is Something that you should know. It's just two chromosomes crossing over, blah, 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 kind of sharing genes through this mechanism. They can come up with viruses that are resistant to drugs or resistant to host defenses, yada, yada. Reassortment is another good one that is used for viruses with segmented genomes. The one that we need to remember that has a segmented genome is influenza virus. The fact that influenza virus is able to use the segmented genome-to-exchange genetic material allows for very virulent strains of this virus, like the H1N1, because there was a lot of reassortment of viruses from pigs and viruses from birds and humans, all within a similar strain of the influenza A virus. They were able to recombine, reassort and, and recombine, into a virus that was not only difficult to prevent with a vaccine, but happened to be very virulent and did result in a lot of deaths and actually was a pandemic. So reassortment is a very important tool for for these segmented um, viruses. Complementation is when two viruses are infecting the same person or present in the same place, and one of them makes a non-functional protein the other virus is able to use that non-functional protein and make it functional for both of the viruses. This is a very simplistic way of stating it, but the important thing to remember is that complementation is the reason that hepatitis D needs hepatitis B to be present in order for it to be infective, because hepatitis D does not have the envelope protein in order to replicate. It needs hepatitis B surface antigen. In order to be able to replicate and infect a host. So remember hepatitis D is dependent on hepatitis B being present. And then the other mechanism is phenotypic mixing. This occurs with infection by two viruses in one host at the same time. Phenotypic mixing is essentially when some of the proteins created by the genome of one virus are used by the other virus and vice versa. Two viruses infecting at the same time and both kind of increasing the pathogenicity, the virulence, and infectivity of each other, making this bigger, badder virus. So recombination, reassortment, complementation, and phenotypic mixing are the four viral genetics we need to think of. Most importantly right now for our discussion of influenza, we need to be thinking about the reassortment because of the segmented genome. Let's get back to influenza and talk a little bit more about that specifically. Remember H flu, hemophilus influenza is a bacteria, not the same as the influenza virus that causes the flu and that's not what we're talking about. Hemophilus influenza is different. We're talking about the influenza virus. That is a result of an orthomyxovirus, is in the family orthomyxovirus. It's an enveloped negative sense single-stranded virus with eight different segments. So these segments are what causes the virus to be constantly changing through reassortment and the reason that we have to get a new flu shot every year that contains the viral strains most likely to be seen in the upcoming year that does require some kind of guesswork on the part of the researchers and for this reason there are years where the flu shot works better than other years we should also remember about influenza that is an RNA virus Remember that it is a nucleocapsid surrounded by an outer membrane with these glycoproteins inside the membrane. So remember I talked about we need to talk about this membrane again? Here it is. There's two kinds of proteins you'll remember in the outer membrane of influenza, the hemagglutinin and neuraminidase active proteins. Anchoring the proteins inside the lipid bilayer are the M proteins or membrane proteins. There are three types of influenza virus, A, B, and C. A is the only one that can infect things other than humans. So we really are talking about that right now because we're talking, we were talking about the H1N1 strain that kind of stole some pieces from a pig version of the flu virus and a bird version of the flu virus. It was also able to affect humans. And the antigenic Differences in the hemagglutinin and neuraminidase protein spikes within the lipid bilayer are the reason that these vaccines have to change every year, and it's part of the craftiness of the flu virus because our immune system will learn to recognize a certain arrangement of hemagglutinin and neuraminidase, and then the virus will change through reassortment, change the hemagglutinin and neuraminidase, and they're also called HA and NA proteins and then our immune system no longer recognizes it. Now let's go back and talk about the answer choices. So choice A, and again, the question was patient with influenza-type symptoms, what's the most common complication of her diagnosis? We knew her diagnosis was influenza virus, so what's the most common complication of that? And we answered correctly, otitis media. The first choice, A, asthma, would have been possibly a correct answer in a patient with concern for aspiration of aspergillus. Aspergillus spores are everywhere. They're a mold spore that floats in the air all around all of us and actually is the cause of bread mold. Uh, Some people will develop an asthma-type reaction to the aspergillus spores. Probably these are people who already have asthma and just have never had an asthma exacerbation at that point. Probably unlikely that the aspergillus is actually causing them to develop asthma. However, this asthma is not a, a complication known to flu bronchitis was choice B. That is the essentially hyperplasia of the mucus secreting glands in the bronchi. It's not a common symptom associated with influenza infection. It can be triggered by viral URIs, allergens, and stress, and is seen a lot in patients who smoke. However, it doesn't fit the clinical picture here, not a um, most likely complication of the influenza virus. We will remember that mycoplasma pneumonia causes a mild self-limited bronchitis and is actually the number one cause of bacterial bronchitis and pneumonia in teenagers and young adults. Choice C febrile seizures are real, and we do definitely learn a lot about them in medical school. However, they are an uncommon complication of seasonal flu. They're much less common than obtaining a bacterial infection that causes otitis media. Choice D was otitis media, it's seen in 10 to 20, some studies even say up to 50% of patients with influenza, but it is definitely very prevalent. And choice E, pneumonia is occasionally seen with an influenza viral picture because this can leave the immune system suppressed and can lead to a state where there's an increased susceptibility to bacterial superinfections. A patient with pneumonia would most likely present with some kind of trouble breathing. And if the vignette was going to show you someone with pneumonia, they'd have to give a little bit more. And studies have shown that otitis media is still far more common in young patients with influenza than pneumonia is. A few takeaways that we can add on just to remember. This child was five years old, but remember that we never give aspirin to a patient, especially who is infected with influenza or varicella chickenpox because they can develop severe liver disease, brain disease, also known as Rye's syndrome. It's not known why Rye's syndrome occurs exactly, but the important thing for you to know is that it can occur if aspirin is given in under two years of age. So always give Tylenol for fever in children. Also remember that Otitis media is the most common complication of influenza virus. And that streptococcus pneumoniae is the most common cause of otitis media in children. And strep pneumo is the most common cause of bacterial meningitis in adults. We can treat influenza with amantadine, romantidine, tamavir, Our neuraminidase inhibitors can shorten the course of influenza A and B. And since this patient didn't get all of her vaccines, and that's probably what led to her being infected, or could have anyways. Let's really quickly run through to make sure we know our live vaccines versus our killed in our subunit. The live attenuated vaccines shouldn't be given to patients who are immunosuppressed, and we need to be very careful in a patient who's HIV positive and make sure there's not yet immunodeficiency before deciding to give any live attenuated vaccines to these patients. HIV positive patients who do not have signs of immunodeficiency should still be given these vaccines and should be given them immediately, in fact, so that they can develop immunity while they are still able to without the increased risk of having a reactivation of the virus and the virus reverting to a virulent state that could be potentially harmful. So the live viruses that we talk about are smallpox, yellow fever, rotavirus, chickenpox or varicella. Sabin polio and MMR and influenza, but only the intranasal formulation of influenza. We also have the killed viruses. These ones cannot revert to a virulent state. Rabies, influenza, the injected form, Salk polio, and the hepatitis A vaccine, which you might have gotten if you've ever studied abroad or been to a place where this is more prevalent. Remember, this is the one that is transmitted by Essentially, eating things that contain the virus. And these are very stable and killed viruses, don't convert to a virulent state. And then the other kind of viral vaccine is the subunit vaccine. We have two big ones you should know HB, hepatitis B virus, has a vaccine that uses the hepatitis B surface antigen to create antibodies against it. And human papillomavirus. Has a subunit type vaccine that prevents and will fight off infection with HPV types 6, 11, 16, and 18. Those being the serotypes that cause over 80% of infections that lead to both increased risk for cervical cancer and genital warts. So those are the two essentially clinical reasons that we tell patients to get human papillomavirus vaccines. So that is all for our little influenza virus question, and I will see you on the next episode.